You are now listening to Random Ramblings with Rob. Random Ramblings with Rob. Yeah. What up, everybody? This is your boy B Rob, and I am back with another edition of the Random Rams with Rob podcast. First and foremost, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for coming back each and every week or however you listen to podcasts. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to thank you oh so much for giving my show a try. And if anybody recommended you to me, I want you to turn to that person if you're in their general vicinity and give them a crisp high five. But if you're not in their general vicinity, I want you to go ahead and use your social media app of choice, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. I just discovered TikTok a couple weeks ago. I guess you can send messages in there, probably. But send them a DM. Don't make it lewd, because anytime somebody talk about DMs, you people thinking it's going down in the DMs. You're trying to slide in there and, you know, get your, get your rocks off. But send them a nice message and tell them thank you for recommending you to me. Speaking of social media, you can find The Random Rams with Rob on all kinds of platforms to include Facebook by searching The Random Rams with Rob, Instagram by using the hashtag 3R show or hashtag Walmart log and Twitter at 3R show. And you can find all kinds of other things associated with the show if you go to randomrobcast.com. Now, have a guest with me. And as Always, when I introduce the guests, I kind of give you a little bit of what you have in store. And what I like to reveal to the guests as well is how I come across them and why I kind of asked them to be on the show. So joining me and the reason she's joining me, because she said, yes, one, one, that's the main key thing. <laughs> but we share the same last name. <laughs> oh, so I seen that. I was scrolling through Twitter. I said, hey, might be a cousin of mine because my daddy has like 13,000 kids and shit. So uh, I looked down in there and I seen the Twitter profile. Freaking award winning journalist. You know, she gives you the 411 on the horror and fantasy and everything like that. Correspondent for Rotten Tomatoes, uh, People's World, After Buzz on the AMC. And I was like, I'll be a damn fool. To not find out if this is my cousin, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> to see if I can get on the show and just chat a little bit, because I see uh, the previews you do for your um, YouTube videos and everything, and you do a thing that I find interesting and that I would like to mo- learn more about, so that's kind of why you're here. So joining me is my cousin, possibly, uh, <laughs> Chauncey, don't forget the K, Robinson. How are you? Yes. Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we might be cousins. I always say that about Michelle Obama because, you know, her her maternal last name is Robinson, too. I know. And I have <laughs> my nephew was on here um, a couple of uh, I think about a year ago, whatever. And he always in and out of trouble. He was talking about um, how he's getting arrested and he called upon the name of Michelle Obama. She's like, look up her maiden name is Robinson, just like mine. That's my cousin. <laughs> I was like, God, I love it. making this look bad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you got a variety of things that's going on. Other than your last name that caught my eye and whatnot, um, you do horror reviews and everything on YouTube. So is horror, is it safe to say horror is kind of like your main jam and everything like that? It's definitely 
definitely my niche. I, you know, I like horror specifically, like horror and dark fantasy, just because I, I like the way it can uh, touch upon other issues and things. But I will say, like, I definitely I review all types of films, political, fi- more overt political films, documentaries, mm-hmm. things like that. But like when I for my YouTube in particular, I zero in on horror for sure, just because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> So that's kind of like your personal thing outside of all the other things you do. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely still within the professional realm because like you can find those reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff as well. But I would say it's the one I get the kick out of. Like if I had a choice at times about which film I'm going to review that day, I'll probably pick I'll probably lean towards a horror film and maybe put like the the more overt political one for another day sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, especially in our current you know state of the world. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Now, I get kind of busy in my uh, day job, you know, outside of the podcast and whatnot. I got a chance to look up the, uh, where I think you did the Werewolf in London review. Um, and then I didn't get to finish it. But what I was going to ask is, like, when you do reviews on your YouTube page and everything, do you have, like, a rating system, like a star system or anything like that? Yeah, I usually do Twisted Approved. And lately I've been adding grades. I used to do Twisted Approved, but more so with the horror, I found that I'm not going to say I have a low bar with horror, (laughs) like (laughs) that I tend to approve everything. But I do. I tend to tell people, especially with horror and dark fantasy, to experience it. Even the most cheesiest ones like uh, Zombie Beavers on Netflix and, mm. and you know, uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. So I'll say, oh, it's Twisted Approved. But then I realize, well, that's a lot that's Twisted Approved. So now I say, you know, it's like a C plus or it's an A or it's a D just to kind of uh, give a, a threshold yeah. for people. Because I realize not everyone is a lover of B movie horror like yeah. I am. And they might not really appreciate Attack of the Killer Donuts as easily. So, <laughs> yeah. So I, I got two questions for you in that same realm. Uh, what is the lowest rating that you ever gave a film on your YouTube? And what is the worst horror film that you feel like you've seen? Because, I mean, you, you if you delve in the realm of B movies or whatever, I mean, you can some people say that they're all bad. But what's something that's because, I mean, you you got to like those things just because of what they are. But what do you consider something that is bad? Wow. You're going to get me in trouble. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you know, those hard, hard, you know, film people are really, uh, really passionate about, uh, what they consider great and what they don't consider great. And I guess for me, on my YouTube channel in particular, I probably gave strangers pray at night and uh, hereditary, that everyone was kind of praising. I kind of gave, I pretty much gave those pretty low scores. That and Bloomhouse's Truth or Dare. I gave those pretty low scores just because for me, a lot of the time um, for like what Ari, Ari Oster, when it comes to Hereditary, even his newest one, Midsummer, uh, he has no hope for humanity and it shows in his stuff. <laughs> and I just think it's like you're sitting through over two hours of someone basically telling you it's all going to crap. So uh, that's not very entertaining to me. Mm-hmm. even if there's like and even with the messaging and whatnot so those are probably like my lowest rating ones uh just for the you know and i try to be i don't think any for me any film and tv critic 
you know, it's hard to say we're completely objective because we all come with our own experiences and thoughts on things, like especially myself as a young black woman and uh, what I may be more interested in or not, especially a lover of horror. But I do try to think of like characterization, the plotting and things like that. And uh, yeah, Ari Aster's that's why I say I'm going to get in trouble, but Ari Aster's uh, like Hereditary and Midsummer are just films that I, I can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you know, I, I watched Hereditary or whatever, and it was like different from any other thing that I've seen. And, you know, I could say the same thing for like Get Out and Us, which mm-hmm. that'll roll into my next question. What did you think about us? Because the only reason I bring it up is because this past weekend when I told we was talking off air about Dolomite and all that stuff, we had a conversation about us and just uh Mr. Peel and everything like that. And then I heard another one of my um, podcast peers also talk about us in a, you know, just their own way. So what are your thoughts and feelings on that? Well, I mean, first I, I love what Jordan Peel is doing for the genre. I, I don't, like the idea where people are saying, oh, it's elevated horror now, like him and Ari Aster and some others are taking it to a higher game. Because I always think horror Mm -hmm. has been elevated depending on which horror movies you watch. But I will say I like what he does with his themes and how he, you know, shows that horror can exist anywhere and anything can exist in horror. And I think with Us, I think Us was solid. I do say that I felt like there was... I'm not going to say plot holes. I think he tried to put a lot in there and yeah. people were telling me, oh, you got to watch it a second time. I'm a firm believer that if I have to watch a movie a second time to really quote unquote get it, then 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 there's a shortcoming with the storytelling. That's not my fault as the viewer. Uh, and that's what I said about Midsummer too. I I liked us for sure. I liked it. It was entertaining. But I one, I don't think it was as tight as, as Get Out was. Mm-hmm. And I... I think he had some messages in there that got kind of muddled of what he was trying to go for, of what he was trying to convey. And because of that, I think it fell fell short. But I think it was very stylized. And Mm -hmm. I I really enjoyed the the twisty journey we went on. Yeah. And, you know, with that movie, it looked so good in his uh, presentation and everything. And it was done on a lower budget. So, I mean, that that was just impressive in itself. So I, I dug that in hindsight, you know, just kind of digging around in it. But, you know, <laughs> I seen an interview with him when he was just talking about how he remixed uh, I Got Five on it to yeah. fit, the sc- <laughs> fit the score and everything. He's just like, I, I-, I like the song. And it was just kind of creepy. So there it is. I mean, and I-, I felt that. It was just cool. It didn't really have nothing to do with the movie, but just the way it was mixed for it, it was it was fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, it was so effective. There were so many like uh, certain scenes with with movement and stuff that were just so like it was such a great innovative way to kind of take on horror because, you know, there are times when horror can fall into jump scares and, you know, cheap thrills here and there. And I feel like he created an atmosphere with us, definitely with the way uh, the doppelgangers were moving and the and the fight scenes in certain aspects, which was a very, I think, innovative, innovative way. I think, I mean, we've been seeing with Jordan Pill, like even since the days of Key and Pill, like, you know, there were sketches there that had horror tinges to it. And 
I, it's always great to see someone who is just a true creative kind of get that, get a platform to really just kind of dive into their brain for the world to see. And that's what we're seeing with his stuff. It's like, it's his brain and it's a crazy warped place. And, you know, it's great that, especially as a, you know, a black man, you know, to be able to, you know, show that because a lot of the time when it comes to, you know, the question of horror and stuff, uh, and any genre that's not specific, like consider, quote unquote, the black, you know, uh, genre, whatever that means, uh, you know, we aren't cons- we aren't always given uh, the space to be the, a dominant voice. And I think we're seeing a change in that in, in, a, in various ways, which I appreciate. Yeah. And just the morph in, um, you know, accessibility and everything, because not everybody had you know, access to camera equipment and lighting and microphones and all kinds of stuff. And now that stuff is relatively cheap and it does the job as the big freaking time stuff. There's movies that's been filmed as, as of current on iPhones strictly, you know? So there's hope for anybody that's, you know, has a creative mind and just kind of feel hampered by like, Oh, I ain't got enough money to do this. Well, shit, if you got an iPhone, you just pull that sucker out and do what you do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, and that's the thing I love about horror, too, because the thing about horror is that a lot of stuff in horror is done on a shoestring budget a lot of the time. And it's still just as effective. In fact, I'm not a big fan of CGI, like especially in horror, like Mm -hmm. overly done CGI. That's why I wasn't the biggest fan of the new it um, movies, because uh, I thought it was heavily used on, it was heavily used CGI in a lot of those. And I'm a, I, I really like practical effects. And I think the thing about horror, which is why it's accessible for people who may not have a whole bunch of money and backing, where you can do found footage type movies. You can do movies that, yes, are on the iPhone, but that's okay because it adds to the gritty atmosphere of horror, you know? So I, I think, you know, especially for filmmakers who are coming up, I mean, horror is probably the most accessible genre that has the biggest returns. I mean, most horror films cost way less than they end up making. Yeah. And uh, and that you kind of covered what I was going to ask. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> good for you. You you're a pro, I can tell. <laughs> so now <laughs> you know being a film critic and everything and you know you give your thoughts on other people's uh movies and whatnot. How do people come at you for giving your thoughts and opinions about something that somebody else created? Well, you know, I think (laughs) it's funny because we started off talking about like werewolf in uh, American werewolf in Paris and stuff. And that was actually that video was part of a video series I was doing, a limited video series I was doing where I was talking about so-called horror classics, like Mm -hmm. classic horror films that everyone thinks are like untouchable and they're always great. You can't say anything negative about that. And what I like to do with my film and with my film reviews, with my reviews is I I'm not saying like I'm a contrarian person. Because sometimes I enjoy a film and I'll say I enjoy it. I'm not trying to look for flaws, but I definitely try to challenge the status quo narrative that we give, especially for myself as, you know, a young black woman in a field that is still dominated. 85% of film critics are still white men. Mm-hmm. You know? And and so because of that, what I deal with is I don't want to, not all, but I will say what can be categorized as quote unquote, like film bros who, uh, when I have an opinion that goes against whatever Holy grail they're claiming is 
the right opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get insults sometimes. You get you don't know what you're talking about. How dare you? Um, you know, uh, I had one guy on my YouTube to, uh, ch- in my YouTube comments tell me that uh, my thought process was like a cancer uh, really? simply because I didn't like Midsummer. And I was just like, you know, one of the things I try to do as a film critic, like I said, no one's truly objective, but I think, I do think it's a craft to be able to dissect film, just like a scientist, you know, who's able, what a scientist does is they dissect the natural world for us. They make sense of what is, they look at stuff, they, 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 they dissect it. They look at it, they have experiments and they see what it is and they analyze it. And I think as a film person, that's what I do. I take You know, I look at culture, I look at art, I look at particularly film. And I dissect what it is and try to, to, to unpack the themes for for an audience to be able to take it in a bit mm-hmm. more. And I do think that I I try my best to when I have when I don't like something or when I do to try to defend why to have a hypothesis, to have a theory so that, you know, it's thorough enough that you're not just you know, someone's not just telling me, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You just don't like this actor or something like that. So it's hard sometimes uh, because, you know, it's a very visible thing. And I think especially as a young black woman, you know, you know, just in this society, you know, we already deal with, you know, certain attacks and things. So on top of that, to enter a field that you're basically told you're already from the get go, not qualified or not as qualified as random white guy with a blog somewhere, uh, you know, that can be uh, an issue, you know, but I think I've, I've gotten such a great response in the last, like, I've been doing this for like two years now. I've gotten such a great response from people who just really um, appreciate my viewpoint mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, want to hear more of it, whether they agree or not. I have some people who love to argue with me, but in a good way. <laughs> I love the yeah. debate. You know, I don't mind someone wanting to argue with me. I had so many people wanting to argue with me on Midsummer, but I didn't mind it. Yeah. And that's kind of a thing, too, like whenever you do any kind of media where it's a visual or audio like how we're doing here, you want some type of feedback. Because, I mean, I could sit here and just talk out into the ether all day. But if nobody hollering back at me, I mean, you know, it's kind of weird. Yes, exactly. You want I mean, and that's one of the ways like for me when I when I write a film review, um, like I did one recently today that was published on American Sun uh, with Kerry Washington that's uh, streaming on Netflix. And, you know, I presented some ideas on the whole my thought process that I thought the film was trying to kind of tell you to look at things from all sides and how that can ruffle some feathers Mm -hmm. for people who are, you know, tired of seeing things from all sides and just want like the police brutality in some regards, what they believe to like stop or something like that. And so that's me inviting people to engage with that. You know, I I don't believe I know all the answers. I'm I, I consider myself a student of the universe. You know, I think that's one of the great thrills about life. No, feeling like every day you're going to learn something different. Yeah. And it's just crazy to like when somebody says something about anything, you know, whether it's film, movies, um, my room revolves kind of around professional wrestling. So mm-hmm. though that fan base is just as a wow. Yeah. As of, <laughs> as of recent, it's been very, very, very toxic. Did you watch the pay-per-view yesterday? I watched the pay-per-view Saturday, Sunday, and I was watching it, <laughs> I was watching it a little bit again before we got on. I missed it actually. I usually I have a friend uh who has 
monthly every time there's a pay-per-view event we we have a get together at their place to watch it uh i actually grew up i grew up as a very uh big uh race wrestling fan with my father um hulk hogan i will say kind of ruined my childhood with some yeah. recent events in the last couple <laughs> years uh but uh yeah i was a, i've been a huge fan of uh wrestling for a minute yeah so i mean you bring him up or whatever i was at the last wrestlemania there in um metlife stadium and um that motherfucker came out there <laughs> and I was with my friends, Caucasian. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And um, they was like, yeah, yeah. Right. And I, I want to be an American. Yeah, yeah. That's the song. So, 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 I, so I'm still sitting in my chair and I'm looking up at them. They're like, yeah. Oh, sorry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the thing. Isn't it so crazy? It's like, you know, it's that saying that says, you know, stick around long enough and you can find yourself going from the hero to the villain and i feel like that's the case with so many of our uh childhood or young teenagehood like uh people we grew up watching you know especially him that was that was sad yeah i used to love the hulk hulk hogan i mean yeah yeah see then that was the thing for me too because like he was my introduction to wrestling but not Mm -hmm. but not as a wrestler and you know people gonna hear me say this again on the show I found wrestling through Hulk Hogan, the actor. Yeah, watching his <laughs> movies, right? Yeah, so I seen his movies and stuff first. And then I happened to find out that he did wrestling too. Cause I'll go to the video store and I was like, what is this WrestleMania? <laughs> oh, it's that guy. Let me watch this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that whole thing. And it was just like the apology too. It was just like, what an apology. And I was like, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was just, you know, Don't that get he got caught. caught. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, that's what it was. I mean, and that's the thing about our culture, too, because even for myself as a film critic, you know, there's a thing of and I feel like it's somewhat on Twitter, too, that there can be a little bit of an echo chamber and this whole thing of of cancel culture, as yeah. you know, we've been seeing come about that sometimes is justified. And sometimes I think it's a bit brash. Um and sometimes it leaves no space for certain people. Um, and you got to take it by case by case basis. But I also think that when it comes to stuff like that, it's it's kind of, I you know, I always wonder, like, depending on who's involved with the film, it's like, well, can I watch this film? Should I even give this any kind of, you know, like a Woody was like uh, that guy who uh, married his stepdaughter. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm talking about mm-hmm. Woody. Uh, <laughs> like that guy and it's like you know I don't want to watch any of it stuff just because of that you know just like I'm sure no one wants to well some people uh, or many people I should say don't want to you know if R. Kelly somehow came yeah. out with another uh, album would be like I'm not going to listen to this you know but it's you know it's a weird thing in entertainment right because you have these people who are geniuses or really great at their profession but then you have the person too yeah. you know and we talk about it a lot. It's just you, we got so many good people in the world that's doing so many innovative things and whatnot. And I just kind of feel just the way things have come about, like you say, R. Kelly and Bill Cosby and Hulk Hogan and all these different people from my childhood that I have some kind of emotional attachment through their music or their art and everything for them to do something like this. And now I just kind of look at everybody that's doing good in the world with the side eye. Cause oh, I, yes. Because I'm looking at Elon Musk as like this motherfucker <laughs> is, is Lex Luthor behind the scenes and shit. Right. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess we used to, and that's the, the the blessing and the curse of like social media and all this tech, because at the time, I mean, 
it was like, you know, back in 1950s Hollywood and stuff. We want to hear about people's scandals until 40 years later. Yeah. You know, like our parents and stuff didn't know that stuff until E! True Hollywood Story came about. Then you find out people were doing documentaries. And now someone do something within a day. It's on TMZ or something. So it kind of... I mean, I guess it's a blessing in the way that it's like, well, at least you're not wasting your money on someone who doesn't deserve it. But at the same time, it's like you sometimes you wish you could just enjoy (laughs) the music or something or the movie without having to think, well, did this is this person part of the Me Too movement? Have they assaulted something? You know, stuff like that where it's like, damn, you know, (laughs) you know, and what's also weird about it, too, like you bring up R. Kelly. So, (laughs) yes, (laughs) I I thoroughly enjoyed a lot of his music coming mm-hmm. in because I had some kind of, you know, instances in life that was tied to it in the moment. So, <laughs> so, okay. I, I can, I can, I'm following that reference. Yeah, see, I'm, you, you're picking up what I'm putting down. That's why you might be yes, my cousin. Yes. You know what? I, you understand me. Um, mm-hmm. So when this whole thing started, you know, coming to light and going down and everything or whatever, I hadn't listened to R Kelly music in so goddamn long. But when this shit started to come to light, I was just like, God damn, man. I need to listen to that daggone TP3 album real quick or that t- chocolate factory <laughs> or whatever. And I was like, ah, nah, nah, nah. I feel bad. I feel like a dick. <laughs> right. And I, I think it's even the same thing for even people who like with Chris Brown with that oh, whole yeah. thing that happened with Rihanna, you know, this whole thing. And then the stuff after it, afterwards with Karuji and stuff and like, you know, his uh, stalking ways and his disrespect to women mm-hmm. and stuff. It's kind of like, you know, he still has some legions of fans, you know, it's the, it's the whole thing of like, does cancel culture actually work, you know? And I mean, I'm, I'm also a firm believer that there are like 600 billion people in the world and i think it's okay to not try to hold on too tight to like that one person no matter how good they are there's probably a few more just like them who isn't a horrible individual (laughs) so i kind of hope that is the case more often than not because people you know we got too many people in this population trying all trying to do so many of the similar things that the idea that we can't find another r kelly who's not a pedophile you know i i just i like to give our people a little bit more credit than that (laughs) <laughs> was funny though like when the shit went down with chris brown with rihanna and everything you know i was i was you know, i was i was on that boat i was just like ah man this dude hitting on, <laughs> hitting on women and everything now i can't watch him dance no more right and then i you know anytime he would come up on the news for anything whatever you know i kind of bash him a little bit my wife be like he did his time or whatever and this wasn't that i was like okay so we defending the woman beater what if i come up here and bust upside your head <laughs> Then right? I, then I move. Like you wouldn't want to defend that. Yeah. Then I moonwalk out of this motherfucker and start <laughs> dancing and shit. You know. <laughs> so I mean, moonwalk out, like you know, watch my next album drop. You know. So <laughs> There's a little point of contention up in here, but we we moved past it. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, no, I get it. I totally get it because there is, I mean, like there's a thing of forgiveness. I get it, you know, and particularly with Chris Brown and even R. Kelly, it's like, yeah, I would, well, not with R. Kelly because that's just straight up pedophilia, but like the idea of like, you know, the argument they got into and the physical fight and stuff. And it's like, oh, he did his time, but this is the thing. He hasn't done his time because he's had other offenses since then, Mm -hmm. you know? So, but like I said, we have a culture where so much plays out in front of everybody. Yeah. You know, uh, especially and it and I do. And this is what I say when I do my my film criticism about like discourse, about wanting to like, you know, my initial review is kind of the first block to want to engage with someone about culture and art. And so but I think 
what we have now is a culture where online there's there can be an echo chamber where you can't have you know sometimes discourse is stifled or stunted where you know if you say one thing and you automatically get labeled as you know you can you can get labeled as problematic you can get labeled as toxic as opposed to trying to engage in like just trying to figure things out because no side nobody has the right answer you know mm-hmm. um in those regards although i think you know some people are not on the better track mm-hmm. of course so yeah like uh, i think it was yesterday you talk about the pay-per-view and everything uh the subject of adam cole came up so mm-hmm. i simply said no the question was like um give a controversial statement about um you know the pay-per-view or a wwe superstar in particular and somebody said um the undisputed era is uh i don't like them they playing uh in 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 and individually they um they could probably do something but my response to that is like, I don't like Adam Cole in a team or individually. And somebody came at me like, what is your damn problem? You know, <laughs> like, like I, I can't not like Adam Cole. <laughs> so I explained to him, I was just like, look, I'm not saying that he's not good. I'm not saying that he doesn't contribute to the business. I'm just saying I don't personally like him. He's not my cup of tea. I was like, there are people in the world that like broccoli. And there's people in the world that don't like broccoli. And I don't like broccoli, as in Adam Cole. So there you go. No, I get it. And it's, you know, it's the whole thing of fandoms, too, right? Like, sometimes when I do TV reviews, like, I do one with uh, Uncharmed. And I used to be part of the Glee fandom at one time. And, you know, people get really passionate, which is, a you know, it's a great thing, you know, that people care about stuff. Even wrestling, you know, like, I remember the last pay review for this one, the one that happened that... I was going to watch on Sunday, the one before that, like the previous month or was it two months ago with Sasha Banks? Like she came back and then she lost that, that, uh, that match. And I was pissed. I was so mad. I was like, what was the point of bringing her back? And, you know, her coming back and being away for a bit and like, you know, when is she going to get her due? You know, I feel some type. I love her. You know, I think she's a great performance for a great performer, a great wrestler and stuff. And it's like she's a star. You know, it's like, when is she going to have a chance to really you know shine solo? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I know if you say that online to some people, they're going to be like, well, you know, it was her choice and things like that. So you get into arguments. Yeah. Um, I, I also have learned sometimes that it's better not to argue yeah. on social media though, because you will just, no one really wins in <laughs> no. that regard. I mean, I think we learned that from the days of Facebook where people used to have essays in your comment section. Uh-huh. And I, I'm just so over it at this point. I just keep it moving because especially with film reviews, um, because I'm not, like I said, I'm not a contrarian. I'm not someone who's like, I will deliberately dislike something if everyone likes it. I'm not that person because I, I don't think that does what I think is the craft of film criticism justice, if that's your aim. Um, but I do think when I have a viewpoint that, you know, maybe goes against some people who can be film snobs in a way that... Uh, you know, it's just better not to try to uh, argue with them because then they're going to pull out their arsenal of every film they've ever watched. And because maybe I haven't watched five of those films on there, I'm totally not, you know, equipped or something. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a thing for sure. And then I think and that's what I mean about challenging the status quo, because one of the reasons why I did that limited series about 
certain so-called horror classics, one of them was the Blair Witch Project on there. Mm -hmm. And everyone was talking about how this was the most scariest movie ever because people thought it was real, blah, blah. And I, I was like, you know, who gets to determine what this list is? You know, it's, you know, it's like, first of all, a lot of these lists are like, you know, very, um, it's, you know, it's a certain race that's kind of the dominant figure on there. Not as many, you know, not as much diversity. And it's like, who decides that these are the quintessential films of all time of horror that everyone needs to watch? Um, and I ruffled a lot of feathers when I did that review, when I did those reviews. Um, I, I stopped them for a bit, not because of ruffling of anyone's feathers, but, you know, just because, at, you know, I did the ones I wanted to do, but I also, you know, was like, I'm not doing this to argue with people. I just wanted to check out films I never saw before and really put it to the test on whether or not they were good. But some people don't like challenging status quo in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, this, this, this place, this world we live in is weird. <laughs> um, let's backtrack a little bit. How do we get to where we are now? You know, how did you fall into, you know, becoming a film critic and everything, uh, a writer, broadcaster, all the things that you do. I mean, what what was the initial start point for you? Well, you know, um, I'm a girl from Jersey, uh, born and raised North New Jersey. And um, my parents have always, and my family has always been very supportive of, you know, my creative endeavors. I've always had like a, a very strong imagination when it comes to fiction and nonfiction, like in looking at stuff and wanting to dive into other people's stories and then wanting to tell my own stories. Uh, and I went to a performing arts academy, arts high, and I, uh, I, I didn't, I got my degree in theater, but I realized I didn't want to necessarily pursue acting in that regard, like as a profession, as like the main profession of acting. And I think one of that, one of the reasons was because I just, I didn't like the idea of putting myself in front of people and having them judge if I was good enough in terms of like acting. And I was like, I want to be more in control. I want to decide if something's good enough. And (laughs) I thought, you know, I was like, you know, I've studied storytelling and theater and plays and, and uh, movies and stuff. I think I can decide that. And, um, I moved down to L.A. after I graduated. And originally I, I was doing a little bit more political journalism, mm-hmm. but I realized that I wanted to incorporate my own thoughts and some politics into uh, more mainstream stuff because I just thought the messaging could get out there better in that regard. And I've always loved horror. So um, I was fortunate enough to have a job already with uh, People's World. Uh, one of the, you know, uh, it's 98 years old, this publication. It's, it tends to be, it's left-leaning and whatnot. But so they gave me a lot of space to kind of try things. And um, they let me start doing uh, more film reviews. And so they gave me that space to do more of that. And then I started the YouTube channel. And I just, I really wanted to have a voice on that end because you know a lot of us talk about um you know who's in front of the camera and things of that nature but a lot of the times too and we see this with rotten tomatoes which also you know shout out to rotten tomatoes because they definitely created a space for more diversity and 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 inclusion uh and their reach out to certify more critics which is how i you know was able to apply and and whatnot and and get approved and um 
one of the things was I said, you know, when it comes to certain films and stuff like that, it can be really great. It can be really diverse. But if the people who are criticizing it and dissecting it don't get it or don't want to get it or are dismissing it, then it falls on the floor. So what we need is more people who who can give a viewpoint that is again, that is not the necessary status quo of, like I was saying, 85% white male, you know, can diversify that. Cause that also determines what movies get greenlit. So, um, I've always felt like my calling was messaging. And so I wanted to be on this end of it and helping other people's message get out to the world. I thought that would be a great help. And the other end of that is I do write original fiction as well, uh, dark fantasy fiction um, and horror. Um, And so I'm working on um, finishing up uh, the final, final draft of my first book on that. And so that's kind of both ends, like being able to dissect people's film and TV and then also putting out my own novels. So, um, so I just, I just want to immerse myself in storytelling and messaging. And I think, you know, uh, is one of the things I love. So to say I can, I have a job or a career that can, provides for me financially and I get to do that is just a blessing. Word. Um, how, what's your percentage on your, your book as far as completion goes? Oh, it's done. Oh, okay. <laughs> pretty much. Um, it's just a matter of the final edits with an editor. And then, uh, you know, uh, getting it to uh, getting it to uh, literary agents, seeing how we're going to publish it. So how long it took you? You know, it's funny. It's like, you know, people think it takes like years, but I kind of think it took me a total of like five months once I sat down and was like, I'm going to write it like every day, you know, and I've had books I've never finished. Because I would stop and go and stop and go and be like, oh, I've been working on this book for two years. But in reality, I've probably only been working on it for some weeks. You know, it's very hard to write a book. You know, one of the things they tell you is what's the difference between a published author and a non-published author? And the difference is the published author actually finished the book. So (laughs) that's uh, that's more than half of the journey is finishing it, really, and believing in yourself that you can finish a book. So um, I think I just buckled down and just said, I really want to finish this. And uh, yeah, I just uh, I kind of think of one of my idols, Zora Neale Hurston, and uh, how she did their eyes were watching God in like the total of like two weeks. You know, she just sat down and she, you know, one of my fave books and she just basically finished it. And I'm like, you know. Yeah, I got a lot more distractions in the world with social media and all the tech we have. But if I think this story needs to be told, then if I believe in that enough, then I should have the will to finish it, which is, you know, what I've I've done. So hopefully we'll see it out there in the world and people can consume it in another year. Work. So I'm I'm on a similar journey right now. I I put out into the world that I am writing a book and then. Now I'm going to give you the origin story because I talked a little bit about it on the last episode that came out Sunday. But, you know, I feel like, you know, I got a wider form to do it here now. So (laughs) here we go. My wife, my wife, she writes poetry, books, whatever. You know, she she does that. And she published the book. And I was so proud of her. And, you know, just in awe of her skill that, you know, me never having the inkling to do something like that or wanted wanting to do something like that was like uh, just pitching. I was the pitch man. I was giving ideas for another book that she could write. I was like, oh, man, you should write about this and this and this. And it got to a point to where, you know, as husbands do, I was annoying the shit out of her. 
<laughs> and she was like, why don't you write it yourself? <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, immediately I turned to Thanos and I got the Infinity Gauntlet. I was like, I'll do it myself. <laughs> so I sat there and I think I got it uh, 1,500 words written. Um, different little ideas and everything. And, you know, I was like really into it. I, I was set time, you know, aside every day to, you know, write a little bit. You know, I think my limit was like 500 words a night or something just to ease myself into it, get comfortable with the process and do it. So I did it and I did it and I did it. And with anything, if you stop after you get into a good rhythm, you know, it can throw you off and then you might not circle back around to it. So mm-hmm. that's what happened. <laughs> I never got, uh-huh. I never got back around to it. And this was many moons ago. This was over five or six years ago. Mm, so, okay. So are you gonna are you returning back to it soon? So kinda. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, that that happened. And then um when I was getting ready to retire from the military, I had plenty of downtime, so I had nothing to do. So I was kinda looking back at it to write the book. But mm-hmm. I changed my mind as far as what the topic was going to be. The original book was like um, a freaking dude that went from addiction to murder. So he mm-hmm. was going, you know, try to his addiction wasn't strong enough to hold him into that. You know, it was sex. I I, I tried to I'm trying to I'll try to be coy, <laughs> I, was try, I was trying to be coy about it. Mm-hmm. But you know, he he needed more of a rush. You know, something more. You know that feeling and whatnot. So he, he was listening to R. Kelly. It got weird and he started killing people. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I put that off to the side and I was like, I, I started listening to podcasts, you know, and everybody that listen to podcasts, majority of them. Oh, I first started listening to Kevin Smith and Joe Rogan and all this other stuff, which I fall in that category too. But they were sounding like they was having so much fun just talking with their friends and hanging out. And that's what I did at work when I was in the military. I, you know, when we had the moment, we would sit there, we tell messed up stories about what we did and all this and all that. And I was like, man, maybe I should write a book about that. All my experiences in the military and all the things me and my friends done and so on and so forth. But at the time, I was just like, man, I don't really feel like because I, I experienced a little taste of it trying to write the other book. And now to sit down to do this, I was just like, I really don't want to go through that again. And then listening to more and more podcasts, I was like, all right, why don't I just do a podcast and let them tell their own stories? And I can tell my stories. And there it is. So this podcast was spawned from a book idea. And then <laughs> so many moons later, here we are going on four years of doing this, the podcast thing and whatnot. Yeah. And being separated from the military. It's just like I'm refining my own identity again because, you know, awesome. so it's just like I want to do all these things. And then my opinions on a lot of things changed to where, like, everybody get on the mumble rappers for I know. and all this other stuff or whatever. I feel old when I talk about how I don't like a lot of them. Exactly. <laughs> like, is this how my parents sounded? I probably. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, that same, you know, the same point that you just bring up, I, I was feeling that I was like. Ugh, why am I being this way? Mm. And I was like, let's really think of the core of it. I mean, it may not be your cup of tea, but somebody likes it. And at the same time, I have no room to criticize them for something that I'm not doing. You know, so like I've never sat down and tried to write a lick of music, produce a beat, make a rap video or anything of the sort. So I didn't feel like I rated to, you know, 
criticizing them for what they're doing because they're actually doing something, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I made it up in my mind around that time to be like, if I'm going to talk shit about something, I'm going to at least attempt to do it. Okay. So I, I got the mixtape coming out 2020. Nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs> Your SoundCloud. Yeah, I'm going I'm to I'm SoundCloud it up or whatever. I, I got my, I got, I'm in Houston. So Johnny Dang out here, you can make me a grill like Paul Wall and all that shit. Yeah. Well, it's never too late, you know? Yeah. But, um, more and more that I started taking the podcast more seriously. I'm trying to get into conventions. Like I just came back from New Jersey. I was in Atlantic City. Awesome. Um, doing a con out there and just trying to get my face out there and whatnot. And I was just like, started thinking about the book again. Because as the anniversary of this show comes along, I got to thinking about the book again. And I was just like, well, I'm more of just want to put shit down just so I can say I wrote a book. And I published it and it's out there in the world. I don't give a damn what the content is anymore. I might even throw stuff from the other book that I originally started in there just to say that I got pages filled that I sat down and I wrote and put it yeah. out there. So that's kind of what it is right now. The our, the title is going to be A Random Book. There it is. <laughs> that's on the nose. I mean, people, and that, you know, honestly, that'll probably grab people's attention because they'll be like, what, what even, you know, like that's the thing. It'll probably be definitely be something people will uh, check out just to see what exactly the random book is about, you know, um, one of the things, and that's the thing when you step away from something too, because I mean, I feel like with writing for myself, whether it's the nonfiction when I'm doing the film criticism or when I'm doing my original fiction, we change as people. We're ever evolving, yeah. right? So like originally with the book that I just finished, um, it was originally put up as a play up in San Francisco when I lived up there. It was performed, it was staged, it was in the Fringe Festival. And so the concept of what the book ended up being. And you know, people wanted me expanded. They were talking about, oh, you should write this as a TV show, blah, blah, blah. But I really felt like I wanted to make it a book because I just for me it's actually the opposite like what you actually said about how you don't like to criticize something unless you do it to me I don't like criticizing something if I'm doing it only because of the fact that um I feel like if I was a film producer or a filmmaker and then I tried to critique film I think in in a in the kind of way of objectivity or whatnot like that I feel like I'd be I couldn't help but be like, well, I wouldn't have done that. I would have put this, you know, screen this way. I would have had the actor do this. But by being the consumer, like a full consumer in the sense of, you know, I don't do this. I'm just trying to take in your story from an outside perspective. I think it for myself, it gives me a better ability to just be able for film in particular to dissect it. And that's why I lean towards writing for writing original fiction with prose. Mm-hmm. And so uh, with uh, with the book, it was one of those things where I, you know, with the play, when I originally, originally wrote it, it, had a lot of different kind of concepts that I was exploring that was more to deal with like um, existentialism and um, the human condition by using horror and fantasy to explore that. But then when I revisited like two years later, when I finally sat down to really write the book for five months, I was, I had a lot of different viewpoints. So I, I had to actually, and by then I had about 60,000 words of it written. And so I basically had to go through it again and read it from the beginning of what I wrote. And I found myself tweaking certain things and saying that doesn't ring true to me anymore. Or, you know, I don't want the character to say this, or I don't know if I wanted to go in this direction because I was, 
was changed as the artist. So that, I mean, that's, I guess that's the best, better advice to, for writers out there to be like, either sit, write it in one sitting, like in a straight span of time or be prepared to end up rewriting it. Like even a year later, if you have to revisit it. Yeah. And uh, you brought up a point in there, like uh, originality. So do you think in the world of film, we are lacking severely in originality? I think it depends on uh, what section of of, of the industry you're looking at. I mean, right now, mainstream Hollywood with theaters is risk adverse, right? Because of the fact that we have so many, so many right now. I mean, everyone and their mother's talking about Disney Plus, right? And we have so many streaming services that make it so people don't necessarily have to go to the physical theater to the point where going to the physical theater is becoming kind of like what going to uh, going to uh, a play was like. It's an event more so than just, oh, I'm going to casually go to the movies this week. And it's like, oh, no, because, you know, if you want to take you or your kid and your spouse or whatnot like that, you're probably going to drop like a hundred something odd dollars uh, for something like that because it costs a lot. And more and more people are sitting at home. So what you have, I think, in with bigger studios is they don't want to take that risk with their money, even though they have millions of it. And so what you have is like, you know, the whole controversy of Marvel movies or superhero movies where people think that's going to be a given in terms of getting butts in the seat. Yeah. And people are less likely to take chances on mainstream studios. I just say are less likely to take chances or independent films because it'll get, you know, less of a turnout if it's not already attached to some type of well-known entity. But I think on the other end of that, we're seeing that that doesn't always work. People are tired. I think the general public is overall tired of reboots. And I honestly think, and I say, and this is probably controversial. I say this as someone who loves the superhero genre as well. I think people are getting burnt out from that too. And we have so many more movies coming out, but I honestly think people are getting burnt out from it. I I think we should have taken a break after the Avengers Endgame. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Marvel should have maybe given another two to three years before they came out with something new, but they're moving to, I think, what is it? Phase four, it's called. Yeah. And stuff. But it's like, I think people are getting burnt out from it. People are, are wanting something new, you know? And I think that's why we saw Charlie's Angels uh, flopped, you know? I mean, it was kind of like this uh, entity that was attached to something that was super popular, but it didn't do well because people were like, we don't want another reboot, you know? Um, Ghostbusters. So I, what? Ghostbusters. <laughs> Ghostbusters, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, people are just, I think people do crave originality. I mean, that's why Netflix and these other original content streaming things do well. I think what is happening, though, people just don't think they have to, should pay $20 a ticket for it, you know, unfortunately. I think, I think the people want original stuff. I think it's just not gelling as well with what they're willing to pay for it, (laughs) at least in the theater range. Yeah. And then, what does something original look like nowadays? Because, I mean, reboots aside and everything, is like I can't remember the last thing that I've seen that wasn't taken from something else, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I always say no story has never like been like not been told. Like nothing is totally original, right? Yeah. I think what 
brings it its originality is who's being able to tell it. And that's why I think that's where diversity and stuff comes in at, where I think when you get more diverse voices, that person alone, even if they're doing a story, a boy meets girl, girl falls in love with boy, boy might die or something like that. Depending on who's telling that story and where their viewpoint is in life, their politics, uh, their own personal situation, their you know money, all of that is going to make that story unique because that person, no one person is the same. So I think that's where the originality comes in, giving more people who don't normally get a chance to tell these these stories a chance to tell them. Because when you have the same people, I mean, you have, especially in this industry, you have some people who get the fell up, you know, you get one, some like women, uh, directors or people of color directors or filmmakers they have one bad movie and they're told well that's it for you and then you got some you know maybe white men or whatnot uh they have one bad movie and they're given like the reins of like the star wars trilogy or something you know it's like it's yeah. it's crazy stuff and it shows the implicit bias at times and i think you're going to get more original stuff when you get different kinds of people to tell the, the stories. But you're right. No story has not been told. I mean, that's just not a thing at this point, as long as we've been around as humans. But I think if you get different people, you'll get a different perspective than you normally get. Yeah, And, and I agree with that. Um, the debate that we had was the Blade movie that's coming out. They pick um old boy from a uh, moonlight and yeah. cage and everything. As much as I love Blade, I don't know if it was me loving the character or loving Wesley Snipes as Blade. Because <laughs> I, I know shit about the comics or whatever. I just know <laughs> what I seen on TV and Wesley Snipes is Blade to me. Now, and, and I figured because, you know, if they plan on revisiting this, you know, I already knew beforehand that they may not tap. Wesley Snipes to do it and I, and I was fine with that I, I you know it's been years or whatever I don't know how that would work out and whatnot but I was just like I have in my mind and, and, and I think this is what happens with a lot of people too when they come to like alright this movie's coming out like with the Batman joint uh, yeah they got um Twilight Boy up in there so I'm actually really excited for that I think it's gonna be great me too me too because I have not seen him in a lot of things outside of Twilight and mm-hmm. f- to put him in this realm excites me because there's nothing I really thought that would ever happen, you know. And then you talk about go back to Blade. They give him this guy, the new guy, the role. I forget his name. But as soon as I seen it was him, I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> like, oh, OK, because like for me, for me, you know, Wesley Snipes kind of embodied the character because he mm-hmm. actually did the martial arts in the film. I mean, obviously not the big stunts or whatever, but like when the camera was in close, that was him fighting. And yeah, my fear for this movie with this guy. I mean, I don't know his background. I don't know a lot about him, but I feel like we're going to get shaky cam action scenes in the stunt man <laughs> for his role. And, and I don't want that. You know, it's, it's going to kill Blade for me. You know, just me in particular. I know people may feel like that, but that's just how I feel about it. And in my mind, you know, you can look him up, get on YouTube, type in Maurice Crump, and you can look him up on Instagram. This guy, to me, is the perfect candidate. His fighting style is that on par with what I perceive Blade would be. And 
he's badass. And I was just like, oh man, that should have been him. And I'm on Twitter advocating for this dude. I'm, I'm, I'm tagging Marvel and all kind of shit. Like, you know, they know who the fuck I am or something. But I was like, this dude, please. Like, God, you gotta hire him. Please, pretty please, man. <laughs> And yeah. that, but you know it is what it is I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm not gonna see the movie but you know it would have been that much more special if they would have put my man in there one because he's a, a relatively a unknown and I think we need more of that Venom was an okay movie but I yes dis- I like Venom yes but I dislike Tom Hardy in that role really I okay and, you know cause you know I don't take trailers to heart because mm-hmm. that, that can kill a lot of movies. Because, you know, we, we talked about, um what was the movie we were just saying that didn't do too well? Charlie's Angels. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Venom and uh, Ghostbusters and all that stuff. The trailers kind of killed a lot of that for people before the movie even came out. Mm-hmm. That's true. But me watching Venom and knowing Tom Hardy is not American and he has an accent and the accent that he used to portray an American in this film sounded that of a person with a mental uh, oh no! <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm paid to uh to find people that do bad things, and you you find <laughs> you see that that sounded like he was off in the head to me, and it oh, killed no. it, it, it killed Tom Hardy in that role for me. I mean, uh-uh. the, movie, the movie was good. I own it. It's right here to my right as I sit <laughs> in this room. But it, if they would have put somebody else in there, like you know, not as big as Tom Hardy or whatever, because it, I felt like the whole movie would have been a hell of a lot better because first of all, it would have drew intrigue to like, I don't know who that person is. So I want to see him in this role and how he would do. So that that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, we're kind of living in days where like people don't necessarily always get discovered because once again, the ho- mainstream Hollywood is kind of risk adverse. So they kind of try to go with the tried and true. So that's why we see so many of the same people in a lot of films too, right? Because yeah. just, I mean, I actually agree with you a bit well on the Wesley Snipes uh, Blade situation because I mean I feel like they got someone that looks similar to Wesley Snipes and in some regards and I think they hope that it's the same magic but I think you know just I mean just specifically talking about it I mean the thing about Blade is that originally Wesley Snipes there was such an edge to him but we knew that because of New Jack City and other films he had been in right so he brought that to that character and I think with Marshala um, with him um, what you have is he has a little bit more of a demure kind of way about him. Mm-hmm. So I feel like what you're going to have is a different kind of blade. So it's kind of like they're going to have to try to make it their own. And mm-hmm. that's the question because we saw this before with uh, Hellboy, right? Yeah. When Hellboy, everyone <laughs> everyone was like, Ron Perlman is Hellboy. You know, yeah. how can you have anyone else? Now, I watched uh, the new one. Yeah. And I liked it for the most. I actually thought it was quite good. Uh, it, it was so beautifully like done in terms of like, I mean, the the effects and stuff were wonderful. Yeah. Um, and he played the Hellboy, the, the actor in this one uh, from Stranger Things. He played the Hellboy a totally different kind of way than yeah. Ron Perlman did it. And so what you have is like either people are going to be okay and accepting of that or they're going to be like you know, uh, no, I want, I want my Hellboy, I want my Blade a certain kind of way. Yeah. And and, and he played it more childlike because he was young even though he was, you know, visually looking like an older person. 
Yes. So, you know, you kind of played it more childlike and everything, you, you know, and I understood that from what I knew of the source material. So, I mean, I was okay with it. I mean, and it's kind of the same way. I was like, I got Hellboy one and two. <laughs> and then I was like, oh man, Ron Perman was so good. And then you, you bring me, which outside of Stranger Things, I don't know this guy. So I mean, yeah. it fits the criteria. So it kind of half is what yeah. you like about yeah. the unknown. So that's, that's kind of what it was for me because that was the hype about this movie. It was him away from Stranger Things because I didn't know him for anything other than Stranger Things. And I was like, I want to see this because of that. You know, so. And it was all right. And once again, as I sit, it's sitting over here on my shelf to the right. So I have it here. <laughs> but damn, what what was it? Um, I believe he's going to have some involvement with it. Wesley Snipes and Blade. I think he's going to be like old Blade or something. And you go. <laughs> Maybe. What, uh, I, no, I think they're going to totally reboot it. Yeah. I think if anything, Wesley Snipes going to appear as a totally different character. Yeah. What I would love so much if he has any involvement with it, I mean, even as a consultant on the film or whatever, I would love, I would even love that. He don't even have to be on camera. I would, I just, you know, hey man, Wesley, what you think about this? Oh man, they're good, they're cool. (laughs) I love how you went into the different like persona. That that was effective. Are you sure you're not an actor? In in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) But like, what I would love if Blade, uh, if Blade, here I go. If Wesley Snipes could be the bad guy of the film, that'd be interesting. I would love that so much. Just something, just boom. There it is. That's what I want. Blade against Blade. <laughs> yeah, that might be interesting. I mean, I don't know. Like, It'd be cool, but then it'd be kind of like then everyone would just be talking about Wesley Snipes being in it. And I do think yeah, that with yeah, reboots or just I remakes, you. you know, either you're going to pass the torch or you're not. Because mm-hmm. if that's the case, they could have just kept... I mean, Wesley Snipes still looks good. Black don't yeah. crack. He could have still played this role. Yeah. But, you know, like they decided to go with someone completely different. And um, and in that regard, I feel like they might more so be trying to distance themselves from his franchise than, yeah. than go with it. Well, shit, they made Sticky Fingers Blade, so I want to watch it just out of pure curiosity, but at the same time, I don't want to watch it because it's Sticky Fingers. <laughs> 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 I, I get that. Motherfucking Onyx, man. Slam, da-da-da, cockeyed and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. It is what it is. Um, How do you feel about after buzz tv oh, i love after buzz i mean it's the espn the espn of tv talk um and i'm not just saying that because i'm part of the company I, I do think it actually is one of, it was one of the first of its kind to do this sort of thing people like talking about their tv shows you have fandom like we were just talking about you have fans who are really passionate about what they like and it, it kind of builds this community around uh panels of people, personalities, and gives people a chance to uh, engage with other fans who tune into the show and to the panelists who who speak on it. So um, I always I, I I've been with AfterBuzz for going on three years now, and uh, I just feel really uh, you know for what Kevin Undergaro and Marina Manuos are doing uh, when it comes to providing a space for up and coming hosts and people who like talking about film and TV, uh, I appreciate it. You know, uh, I think 
you know, there's a lot of uh, duplicates of it, but I think AfterBuzz does have a great way of uh, creating a community around it. And I, I love the fans. You know, I do the Titans after show, the DC Universe Titans after yeah. show. I used to do the Flash after show for two years. And, you know, when people love what they love of a show and even if they argue with you, like I've had people argue with me, fans and stuff, depending on if I say something they don't like. They also you they do it from a place of passion, most of them. So it's it's been a it's really it's been a good experience engaging with that. Yeah. It was one of the first kind of gigs I had in that realm, in the realm of talking about film and television when I first came down to LA. Word. So the book what what what's on the horizon for you as far as film? You got anything coming up in that area? Well, I mean, you know, I'm going in slightly hibernation mode because it's the holidays. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I do, I, I do believe in strategy. And so for me, you know, one of my icons has always been Roger Ebert. And I want to fill a space because uh, I think it's a long overdue for, you know, um, for someone who is a personality who can talk about film in a way and that be associated with them and stuff and also making it their own. And especially I, I believe that needs to be represented with, you know, for myself as a young black woman, I think that's important. So going into the new year, I I just, I want to go hard with uh, reviewing a whole, uh, as much as film and TV as I can also zeroing in, of course, on my love of horror and fantasy and uh, yeah, probably get on more, um, Hopefully, like, you know, a great, you're a great podcast and others, you know, basically just being able to talk to others who like talking about stuff and guest appearing and stuff and just ba- basically engaging with with the public about it, you know, just building that profile up and hopefully getting my book out. <laughs> Word. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want some other good podcast to be a part of or whatever, I, I can DM you some. You know. Oh, Definitely. I'd love to. I love doing this. I mean, I, I really appreciate you asking me to come on here for sure. Yes. And I appreciate you for giving me your time. But on that note, this is where we put a pin in it. <laughs> so let everybody know where they can find you on social media and what you got going on. I mean, you already kind of laid it out a little bit, but you can give them a little more if you like. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Chauncey K.R. That's M.S. Chauncey KR. You can also find me on Instagram at Miss Chauncey K with MS Chauncey K. Um, you can find me, like I said, on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm a certified Rotten Tomatoes film and TV critic there. Uh, my uh, website, ChaunceyKRobinson.com, and also at People's World, where I, uh, I mainly do film and TV criticism, but occasionally I throw in some political uh, journalism as well, if you like that sort of thing. And so, yeah, you can find me all over right now word so you've been the guest once here on the random rounds of rob so the door is always open for you to come back and promote something that you got going on or just come shoot shit i mean you you my cousin and everything so i mean yes we uh, are related yeah so i'm gonna (laughs) you got a key and everything you can just come on in whenever you feel i love it you don't have to ask for you know i ain't fixing you a plate because you ain't company no more (laughs) You know, those family gatherings, I get three plates in a bag. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I, I put some Tupperware for the, to the side for you and whatnot. Yes. All right. And that was my cousin, Miss Chauncey. Don't forget the motherfucking K. Robinson. Good time, good chat and everything. You know, it's good to catch up with kinfolk when they're not really your kinfolk. But 
<laughs> it is. I mean, hey, man, the Robinson family bloodline runs is very deep. Like I said, I am the last child of 18 children, you know, so we, we, we might have some kinship somewhere, you know, so it is what it is. Great to talk with her and everything. Get her creative creativity out into the world. I'm, I'm a little bit tired. I just came back from Louisiana this past weekend and everything, visiting family and friends and whatnot, eating some good food and everything. And I also just came back from Walmart too. <laughs> so that is what it is. But man, let me tell you, uh, shout out to the head nerds in charge. Uh, I wouldn't so much say they're a podcast. They do primarily video. So you can check them out on uh, YouTube. Look up the HNIC the head nerds in charge they gave me a shirt you can go to my instagram and you can see me see it it's um run dmc style and it says black men don't cheat so i almost got my ass whipped behind this shirt but i mean i got the look from my mom so you know i mean if you're a parent you know the look that you flash at your kid to get them to chill the hell out or let them know that i'm gonna bust your ass or you in trouble or something right so here I am getting ready to come back to Houston today and, um, you know, showered up and everything threw my clothes on through the um, shirt that I had in my bag. Black men don't cheat. And I walk into the living room and my mom is heavily engaged into a phone call, you know, just watching TV and everything, talking on the phone. And I walk past and I sit down on the couch and she looked at me like I, I I immediately reverted back to a child in elementary school which is she gave me the eye she was like where you get that shirt from who who, who told that lie <laughs> you know the thing I you know and the only thing I could tell her was like hey I'm only speaking for myself <laughs> you know so yeah mama beat my ass over a, a shirt that says black men don't cheat you know so I'm not gonna question you know the, the ins and outs of uh, my mom and pop or just, you know, my mom has uh, been married more than once and uh, so has my father. But, you know, I'm not going to they here for me and I, I am born. So I'm glad they at least did that. <laughs> but, yeah. Good weekend. Good food. Good times. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you got a little bit of you know, a little bit of ear time. I can't say FaceTime because it's not video. Ear time with uh, my cousin. And uh, look for her on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, After Buzz TV, and all the other places that we mentioned during the interview. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and roll on with a couple things. Oh, December 7th, going to be uh, part of the NerdCon 2. You know, it's a second annual Comic-Con and everything here in, uh, well, I think it's Mount Bellevue or some shit like that around here in Houston. But uh, that's November 7th. I mean, goddamn, December 7th. December. We can't go back in time, baby. If I had a time machine, I'd be a rich mofo. Yeah, excuse me. I'm having a milkshake, which I should not be having because I'm lactose. But I took my lactate pills, so I should be all right. You know, all it does is delay the poo for another time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just check that out. Go to their um, Facebook page. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram. You get all the details and the info and everything. It'll be a good time. I know Walker the Geek gonna be there. So me and him get to hang out, shoot shit and whatnot. Maybe Bri-Fi pop up. 
or maybe not uh, some other the um, local staples and H Town podcasting. Uh, I don't know community. <laughs> Man, all right, I'm I'm tired as fuck. I got other shit I need to do tonight, but I'm gonna go ahead and get out of here. Shout out to the sponsor, Hooks, Rubs, and Spices, to where now it used to be 10%. Now you can get 15% off your order if you use the promo code RANDOM. So go to hooksrubsandspices.etsy.com and um, use that promo code. Get you some spices for your meats, baby. Put them on your vegetables too. It's all good. They got a, a flavor for whatever you're into rub it on your face neck and chest stay away from the eyes though it might burn a little and um shout out to blue chew for the little joint that we had going on or whatever i mean the promo code is still active baby if you go to bluechew.com and uh your first order's on me if you long as you use the promo code random so i mean you gotta pay five dollars shipping so i mean the product is free you're just paying for the shipping so, you know, your first order is free. Romo, I about to say Romo code. I hate Romo. Fuck the Cowboys. Um, yeah, promo code random. And hey, man, don't be ashamed. If you got a little flash of pee pee. I mean, our shit it's, it's probably just a mental thing, baby. You, you, you lacking that confidence and this can give you the extra boost. I ain't sitting here trying to down you for having a flaccid penis or whatever. But I mean, it happened to everybody. It's going to happen to me one day. It might be happening now. I ain't going to tell you. But eh, I don't know. Man, let me get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, follow the show on Twitter at 3R Show. Shout out to Cinnabon and uh, Schlotzky's Deli. And uh, McAllister's uh, Deli all been, you know, giving me the rub on Twitter and whatnot. So join in on the fun at 3R Show. You can follow me on Instagram using the hashtag 3R Show or hashtag Walmart Log to where you can see me walking around in the hollowed halls of Walmart. You can also find the show on Facebook if that's your thing. Just do facebook.com forward slash 3R show or type in the random rounds with Rob and you will find it. You can go to randomrobcast.com to where you can find many different ways to support the show monetarily. You As little as a dollar, you can be a patron. Um, only two tiers in patron. You can be a, have a dollar tier to where you can get free stuff and be included in giveaways or you can have the uh, $10 tier to where I'll produce extra content for those who are in that tier. You know, if you want me to work and do extra things, you got to pay me, baby. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. Um, also, you can buy merchandise. I got some cool hats, shirts, pins, notebooks, all kinds of stuff up in that piece. Randomrobcast.com forward slash merch. And you can use my Amazon links. Doesn't cost you anything extra. Just save it on your favorites and every time you click that link it'll take you to Amazon and when you buy something from Amazon I get a little kickback it's totally free you don't pay nothing extra I just said that also there's a wish list an Amazon wish list if you want to donate any equipment to the show it's much appreciated just click on that link it'll take you there and my birthday coming up in March if you want to give me something as a birthday gift that is appreciated too also if you just want to give me straight up cash there's Venmo links there's uh, cash app links there's PayPal links on there you could do it all that way. But hear me out. The most important way that you can help this show and any show that you listen to is write reviews, retweet, like, share, and write those five star reviews. 
I am at 77 reviews right now. I'm trying to reach 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. And, you know, if anywhere else you want to put them, put them there, too. But Apple Podcasts, I'm trying to reach 100 reviews and I am at 77. It's only 23 left to do. And I know I could do it before March 29th, which is my birthday. So we got a little bit of time to do it. If you have the time, six or seven seconds, maybe a little less, write a five star review. Get those in there. Trying to do it. That's your birthday gift to me. That's another way that you can help support the show without giving up any money because the show is free. But this is just a little little extra. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But with that being said, I appreciate you all for listening. Uh, Come back next week. Well, it'll be episode 200. You know, if you want to join in on the fun, um, I'll put the times up to where we're recording. If you want to call in while. Nope. I lied. Can't call in. <laughs> I'm thinking about my my three year show to where I did it live. But episode 200 is already recorded. So I don't even know why I made that stupid statement. But what I was saying is, if you want to be a part of the show, you can call 304 eight two five five seven six two that's three oh four eight two five five seven six two and you can leave a voicemail there and i'll include it in the show so there you go that's what i meant i mean i I told you i'm tired i'm all over the place so there you go episode 200 next week it's gonna be a powerful episode so uh tune in and listen and i'll see you next time